You may not know this, but I used to want to be a farmer. And I had, I had like 150 chickens or something like that, meat chickens and egg-laying chickens, and I'd get like 40 eggs a day. It was crazy. I was, it was literally overflowing out of our house. And our whole mudroom was just full of it. It was kind of gross. I had egg chickens, meat chickens. I had five pigs, and I love pigs. They're one of my favorite animals. And then I had like three sheep. And sheep are not my favorite animals. They're kind of boring and annoying and dumb. And I was just like, yep, I don't ever want to have sheep again. They just, all they do is eat grass, and they're just not that useful. <laughs> and I'll tell you a couple stories of the sheep. So we had this big enclosure out in our back, the back three is what we called it. It was like three acres. And then we had it fenced in. And sometimes I'd go out there, and I had my chickens in this pen that sometimes the sheep would jump on top of it. And like they'd bang around, it had a metal roof, they go, because there was chicken feed on it. They were looking it up off it. It's just kind of weird. And all my chickens in there were like, ah! Or tweet, 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 tweet. Because they did not like having a sheep banging on their roof. And I was like, why you got to do this to me? So that was one thing about sheep that annoyed me. Another time, there was a great windstorm. And I went out there, and it looked like a windstorm had come through, which is surprising, right? <laughs> um, I went out there. There's like roofs blown off of some of the sheep th- chicken things. And then there was one sheep that was on the other side of the fence. It's just buying like, ah, let me in. <laughs> I don't want to be out here. So, I, I, you know, sheep were just annoying to me. And tonight, <laughs> we're going to talk about Jesus, our good shepherd. And it's funny that the Bible uses the analogy of sheep to talk about our relationship to him. It's like, we're not that great. We are not that useful. We don't do anything to really make us love him, but he loves us. He takes care of us. He provides for us when we don't deserve it, when there's nothing about us that would draw that out. Jesus takes care of us. He's our good shepherd. And so, yeah, we're going to get into Mark 6. My point tonight is that it's to show that Jesus is the better shepherd who serves us, satisfies us, and secures us. So let's pray. Father, show us, show us the glory of your son tonight. Show us his love. Comfort our hearts in him and help us to love others like him. And lead sinners back to yourself. Lead lost sheep back to yourself. You can do it. You can go out and seek them out and bring them home rejoicing because you love to save lost sheep. So guide us into all the truth, good shepherd, and teach us. And speak to us tonight. Feed us with your word. Amen. Okay, Mark 6, 21. We're starting in 21. We have been going through the book Gospel of Mark, and we started off. Jesus is coming, bringing the kingdom, coming to save. Huge crowds were following him. Big opposition for people who wanted to kill him. And again, the cycle starts over. He does these miracles. He speaks in parables. And then people are calling him a demon, or saying he's possessed by a demon. And his family's rejecting him. And then... He does more great miracles. And it's just this cycle. Jesus gets popular. He's rejected. And again, we're going to see in this passage, he is, his ministry's influence is growing. He sends out, in the beginning of Mark 6, he, he's opposed by people in his hometown. And then he sends out the 12 to go and preach and have authority to cast out demons. He sends about like sheep among wolves, some of the other gospels say. And then there's so many amazing things connected to Jesus' name that Herod's like, 
And everyone's like, who is this? Did John the Baptist rise again? Did he rise from the dead? Is that why he's doing all these miracles? That's in verse 14. And people say, no. And Herod's like, you know, I think it was that John the Baptist rose from the dead. And I'm the one who cut off his head because I... Yeah, and then it gets into the story, and we will read that. Herodias had a grudge against him because he was saying, John was saying to Herod. I'll just start in verse 18. Verse 17. It says, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. So Herod married his brother's wife. That is not good. Just so you know. For John had been saying to Herod, John tells us that, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias, the woman, had a grudge against John the Baptist and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So John's kind of a nuisance to Herod, but he's like, I'm kind of afraid that if I kill him, I'm going to get judgment. So they had a grudge against him, but there's no opportunity to kill him like they wanted to. They're evil people. But an opportunity came. Verse 21. When Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee, all the famous people were coming to Herod's birthday party. For when Herodias' daughter came, now Herodias has a daughter, and she came in and danced for them. She pleased Herod and his guests. And you just see how lustful and sinful they are. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And it's funny because Herodias adds a little, her daughter adds a little thing. She came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I guess she wants to eat John the Baptist. <laughs> and the king was exceedingly, probably not, but it's like they're wolves. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he's got peer pressure, doesn't want to make his friends think he's not cool, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately, the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And I'm going to go to verse 34, then we're going to stop for my first point. So the apostles had been sent out, and now they're returning. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, Jesus... He saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. First point is that Jesus is the better shepherd, better than Herod, who serves us. I'm, this is the story about the feeding of the 5,000 but if you compare it to all the other gospel accounts, they all have a different emphasis on it. In this one, the thing that Mark talks about that no other gospel writers include is verse 34. It says he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Another thing, if you look in verse, um, verse 39, it says he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. None of the other gospel writers say green grass. It's like, well, why does that matter that the grass was green? Isn't grass always green? <clears throat> There's other areas in this whole passage where he's alluding back to Psalm 23. And he's saying that Jesus is the good shepherd 
feeding his people in the wilderness, making them lie down in green pastures. That's Psalm 23. He's the good shepherd. So that's why I'm preaching that from this tonight. We're going to see how Jesus' miracle shows that he is the good shepherd. And there's so many sweet truths for us to see. But the first thing we see is that Herod is a bad shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, I didn't have time to go there, but it talks about there's bad shepherds. And God says, they serve themselves. Instead of feeding the sheep, they feed themselves. And instead of taking care of the sheep and protecting them, they're scattering them. And they're leaving them up to be hurt by all these wild beasts. And when he says sheep, he's talking about his people. And the shepherds were the prophets and priests and kings of Israel. But he said, one day I'm going to come and I'm going to be your shepherd. God says, I will be your shepherd. And now we see in Mark 6 that that's being fulfilled. God's promises are coming true. He's being the shepherd for his people. And Herod is the next example of the bad shepherd. So let's look at Herod. We're going to compare Herod to Jesus just so we can see that Jesus is the good shepherd who serves us. That's the first point, who serves us. Notice that Herod is lustful. He has his brother Philip's or his brother's wife. And then he has her daughter come in and, and dance for them for their party. And he's just sinful and his heart is just bent on consuming sexual morality. He's an unrighteous shepherd. He's self-indulgent. He's got this whole banquet, this whole feast. And he is <clears throat> proud and self-centered. He <laughs> is and, and just his way he's got all about him. He wants to get all the famous people to come to his party and then he doesn't want them to have a bad opinion of them so he kills someone in order to make himself look good. And he's hatefully murderous. And his wife is Herodias' too. Herod is not a good shepherd. He has no concern for the woman in the story for they're just objects of entertainment for him, for his sexual gratification. And he has no concern, not just for the woman's story, but also for his dinner guests. Other than that, he wanted them to think of him as the one who was able to throw the best party. And he has no concern for John the Baptist because he murdered him in order to make his friends think he was cool. That's Herod for you. He doesn't care about the people who are supposed to be his sheep and who he's supposed to be the shepherd over. He doesn't serve them. He uses them to serve himself. <clears throat> he loves himself. He doesn't care if it hurts other people to do that. And you, you compare that to Jesus and we get to... There's obviously so many, so many other things in that passage, but I don't have time to go into all of them. We're just going to get main focus on Jesus as the good shepherd and Herod as the bad shepherd. Verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Jesus sees the needs of his, his, his apostles. He says, you guys have been working hard. Come away to a desolate place and rest a while. Come and lie down in green pastures. Rest. And it says, for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. So he didn't have time to rest. He didn't have time to eat. And why did he do it? He was restless so that he could give us rest. So he came into the world and he, the one who is forever in heaven, <laughs> perfectly satisfied, never, never being sleepy or restless or tired and weary, he came and endured that for us. He had no leisure even to eat. He became hungry so he could fill us with food. And we'll see that later as we go on. And Jesus, you just seem continually denying himself to serve others. And then when he comes, you know, he comes across the sea and they show up again. It's like, I was trying to get some rest. But he doesn't push them away. You would expect them to say, oh my gosh, we're going to go across to another part of the sea so that we can just get away from these annoying sheep. But what does Jesus say? Or how does he respond 
He saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. That's not a word you'd use to describe Herod. Jesus cares. And these are not the nobles and the military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. It's just 5,000 men and women and children. This is an ordinary common folk who are just not cool. They're not the people you want to invite to your party. Herod didn't invite them. But he has compassion on them. He sees their sheep without a shepherd. So Herod could care less about the sheep. As long as he is popular and has lots of food and power and pleasure, he's good. But Jesus left the banquets of heaven to give us food in the wilderness. He left the peace and rest of heaven to enter into our restlessness and make us lie down in green pastures through faith in him. This is the heart of Jesus, our good shepherd. And it's made all the more beautiful when we compare him to Herod. Herod, was, Herod thinks he's so great, but he's silly for having such a high view of himself. He was just a little king in a little portion of the Roman Empire called Israel. And even he himself, he wasn't the highest king. There was emperor Caesar way above him. But Jesus from all eternity has been the most high God and the king of kings. And his throne has forever been exalted. He came down to earth to serve us and then to save us. Jesus is a good shepherd. He's a better shepherd than Herod and than anything else that had come before. So what, how do we apply this? How does this apply to us? First, it shows us our sin because a lot of us are like Herod. We are sheep that have gone astray. Herod has gone astray. He's, he's a sheep and he's a bad shepherd at the same time. We rebel against God. Maybe you can kind of think about this, but if you were invited to one party or the other, Herod's party or Jesus' party in the wilderness, which we'll get to later, which one would you want to go to? Herod has all the popular people. He's got good food and he's got the entertainment and all the things you'd want. And it's a carnal feast. And Jesus has, it's a desolate place. They have bread and fish and the word of God being preached. Which one sounds more appetizing to you? What we desire shows who we are. Many of us might be wolves in sheep clothing. We come to church, but we don't really love church. We don't really hunger for the word of God. Maybe we're like wolves in that we wolfishly devour, just like Herod, sexual images and think of other people as objects for our sexual gratification. Or maybe we're like wolves and that we're full of hatred and grudges against people just like Herodias had a grudge against John the Baptist. Are you like a wolf? Are there people that if you could, you would get their head on a platter and eat them? Obviously, that's figurative. You probably would not want to do that. <laughs> but, you, but you hold a grudge against them. That's not how sheep, sheep act. That's how wolves act. They have hatred in their hearts. They are full of lust. And are you like a, a wolf like Herod in that you do all things, you're willing to do evil and sinful things as long as it helps you fit in with the pack? What do you love? What do you long for? What feast would you rather be at? Do you have a heart like a wolf or like a sheep? It shows our sin. We've rebelled against God. We've gone astray. We were supposed to follow him, love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbors ourselves, but we've gone astray. Herod went astray. He's a picture of us. So that's a good thing to think about. Are there sins of Herod that, that are seen in your life? And think about that, and we will see the solution. 
Not only does it show us our sinfulness as sheep, but also shows us that we're suffering. Our shepherd is no longer, he was made to be God as a shepherd, but now it's Satan and sin. And I, Satan's flock is not a healthy flock. He's a tyrant. He promises them, I'm going to bring you all these good things. I'm going to lead you to good pastures, but it will not satisfy and eventually it'll lead you to death. If you follow Satan, you're going, well, he's going. And he's going to the lake of fire, it says in Revelation. You think that, you know, just what you have is the best there is, but there's so much better. And you can come to the word, to the green pastures of the word of God and not, not any longer live for those things. So, yeah. Satan's sheep, they're... Harass and help us like sheep without a shepherd. But it reveals, it reveals our sin, it reveals our suffering, but it also reveals, this passage reveals our Savior, that he's compassionate, that he came to seek and to serve and to save us. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to seek and to save the lost. And if you see your need, you see your sin, you think, maybe I'm a wolf and maybe I'm not a sheep. Really, either way, there's only one response, like confess your sins, turn to Jesus, he'll receive you. Remember, he has compassion when he sees rebellious and sinful and suffering sheep. He wants you to come. And he wants you to come to his feast. So what is his feast? That's our second point. Jesus is the good shepherd, the better shepherd who satisfies us. The good shepherd, the better shepherd who satisfies us. Notice, we're going to go... In 31, it says, Jesus says, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Verse 32, they went away to a desolate place by themselves. And now we'll go to verse 35. When it grew late, his disciples came to him. So he's been teaching the word, it's growing late. And they said, this is a desolate place. There it is again. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate, 5,000 people plus men and children, and they were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And the other gospels say, with women and children. Jesus satisfies us. This passage, there's basically an emphasis on just two things. One, that they're in a desolate place where you can't get any food. The word's repeated three times. They went to a desolate place, a desolate place, a desolate place. And then when it grows late, the disciples are like, there's no food for miles around. They've got to go far away to get food. So you need to send them away now. There's no food to have in this place. It's not a rich palace like Herod had with a big banquet table. There's nothing but five loaves and two fish. And that's not enough to feed 5,000 people. But Jesus does a miracle because he's God. He takes them. He has them sit down and greet on the grass. And then they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, 
It says in verse 41, he, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set them before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. Jesus, in a desolate place, he's able to provide an abundance for everyone to sustain their life, to feed them, to feed his sheep out in the pastures. So, there's really two things we learn about this. Is that it shows how Jesus feeds us. And he feeds us two things. The spoken word and the broken bread. The spoken word and the broken bread. Those are the two things that Jesus feeds us. He satisfies us by giving us the spoken word and the broken bread. Look at verse 34 at the end. It says, he began to teach them many things. Jesus is compassionate. He loves, he loves his sheep. He sees their needs. And what's the greatest needs that he sees that we need? Well, he shows it to us when the the first thing he starts doing is he began to teach them many things. We need Jesus to teach us. We need his word. We need him to feed us. And this is fulfilling the scriptures. Jeremiah 3.15, there's been all the bad shepherds and God says, one day I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and truth. And then Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, God, when Jesus Christ ascended on high, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And the word pastor is just shepherd. So, the pastors you have in your church, in our church, are gifts of God to us, to feed us. Because Jesus cares about his sheep. We need to be fed, so he feeds us. And so that's the first way he feeds us. He was teaching them many things. They needed to hear it. And he teaches us today. He teaches you at church on Sunday, at youth group on Wednesday. He gives us shepherds to feed us. And so how do we respond to that when he gives us the spoken word to feed us? Ruminate. Sheep are called ruminants. Maybe you were not expecting to learn that about sheep today, which means that when they eat food, so in the morning they get up and they, they munch on grass, they, they eat it all up, and then they go in the shade, and then they just sit there and go. And it looks like they're all just sitting there chewing gum. Like, oh, look like chilling. What they do is they vomit up, basically. They spit up their, the grass they ate earlier, and then they chew on it, and it helps them digest it. So, hey, if you were a sheep, you would think it's yummy. So don't be telling, calling them disgusting. <laughs> um, and they do that because it helps, it's the way their guts work that it helps it nourish them. So that's what I want you guys to do. When you hear the word preached on Sunday, you chew it, you, you bite it off. And later in the day, you go sit in the shade and you spit it up and you chew on it a little bit. And go, mm, that was good that I learned about Jesus being the shepherd who serves us. What, what was he saying about that? You chew on it. We talked about this in Bible study a while ago. And then the same with when you do stuff in the morning. You read in the word and throughout the day meditate on it, ruminate on it, think about it, and how you can apply it in your life and how you can trust Jesus, how you can hope in what he's doing in the future and how he can help you love others in your lives. So he feeds us through the spoken word, so ruminate on it. Second, he feeds us through, through the broken bread um, so we can be satisfied. Look at verse 41. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. This happens, something similar to this happens way back in the Old Testament. First Samuel 9.13 says Saul, they were waiting for, everyone at the top for this feast was waiting for Samuel because he was going to come and bless the sacrifice so they could all eat it together and celebrate. So it's connected to the, a priest 
blessing meal so that there could be forgiveness of sins and fellowship with one another and with God. Now, the interesting thing is, there's two other places in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus does the same thing. One is Mark 8, 7. It said, it's another feeding miracle. It says they had five, you guys can go there if you want. And they had a few small fish and having blessed them, he says that these should be set before them. So there's another time Jesus blessing it. Now the last one is Mark 14, verse 22, I believe. Mark 14, 22. Jesus feeds us through the broken bread. Listen, you guys should all go there if, if you can. It says, this is at the Last Supper. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. And said, take, the, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. So it's basically like Jesus had a little church service in the feeding of the 5,000 miracle. He spoke the word, he preached to them and then he had a little, he broke the bread to them. He had the preaching of the word and Lord's Supper because he's a shepherd who cares for his sheep and wants to feed them. And I just want to think more about this Lord's Supper and how um, it was, Jesus was pointing forward to it. Think of it this way. Jesus is our shepherd. He wants to feed us, to help us grow. And he does it by giving us two things, broken bread and the poured out wine. Uh, and Jesus the point was for us that he's, he's the priest making a sacrifice to atone for our sins. We need to feed, feed on the word and we need to feed on Jesus himself. He feeds us by giving himself up, his body up for our sins. So, Jesus was pointing forward to what he'd do on the cross. His body would be broken. His blood would be shed. And I, when we had those sheep, some of you will be sad to hear this, but we would kill the sheep so we could eat them. And we would do it in the winter. And I'd go in, and if you just take them by their legs, they'll just be perfectly still. And then you slit their throat, and they bleed out. And it was out there in the winter, in the snow, and I just saw the scarlet blood of the sheep bleeding out on the white, pure white snow. And it reminds you, it reminds you. <clears throat> Isaiah 1 says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become as wool. Jesus shed his blood like a lamb so that he could cleanse us from our sins. His scarlet blood was shed so that our scarlet stained sins could be made white as snow. We, and become as wool. We were sheep who had gone and rolled around in sin and all this dirtiness and been defiled so we could not come into God's presence. But he washed us through his blood. He gave his life for us. And first, our, our verse, 1 Peter 2, 22-25 says this. For to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, just like John the Baptist. He was righteous and holy. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When reviled, he did not revile in return. That sheep, when we killed it, it was just, just sat there gently. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And then the next verse says, For you were straying like sheep, all of us straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus gave himself up as a sheep to wash away our sins. And why did I have to kill that lamb? Like, why would you kill a little lamb like that? Whenever you eat something, that thing has to die for you to have life. Whenever you eat something, if it's a vegetable or an animal, it has to die for you to have life. Jesus died so that we could have life. He gave himself for us because he loved us. He had compassion on us so that we could have life. And he says, and when you have to eat, you get that life by eating that thing. By eating that thing. Jesus is saying, eat me in the Lord's Supper. Feed on me. I will give you life. So that's what the Lord's Supper is about. That's how Jesus feeds us. And why does he do it? Shepherds feed their sheep so they can have life, first of all. He feeds us so we can grow. If you don't feed, you can't grow. And he does it because he loves us. So, yeah. He feeds us, with, feeds us with the spoken word and the broken bread and lets us drink from the waters of baptism each Sunday so we can have, be happy and healthy and live and grow and multiply his flock. So, we just can apply this in a couple ways. First of all, as our shepherd... Maybe some of you feel like you're in a desolate place right now, just like they were. It emphasized that three times. Just trust your shepherd and follow him. Shepherds have to lead their sheep through desolate areas, through barren wastelands sometimes, in order to bring them to better pastures. So if you've got a lot of suffering right now, and you feel like your life is dry, and dull, and desolate, keep following him. You might not know where he's leading you, but you know he's good. You know he's compassionate and he cares for you. So keep seeking him. In the word, the spoken word, and the broken bread. If you're a believer, you can, you can receive those things. And he will lead you rightly. And secondly, remember, Bible reading in the morning and going to church, it's not something you do for him so he'll love you. It's something he gives to you because he loves you. Because he has compassion on you. Jesus wants you to be healthy, to live. And so he gives us his word so he can feed us and nourish us and make us grow and be strong. So it's not, yeah, we can, we can just trust him and use what he's given us to feed it, feed us diligently and dependently. Trust in him to use it to help you grow. And finally, if you are hungry, if you don't know this good shepherd, then come to him. He will feed you and give you life. Stop following Herod and following Satan and going to his party, come to Jesus. Jesus said in John 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh like, and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. It's a weird way of saying things, but the point is, you need me to have life. And he didn't just, he didn't just die for us. He also rose again, because a dead shepherd can't protect you. And... That is the third point, that he secures us. But we do not have time for that today. If you read the rest of the passage, it talks about, Jesus goes in verse 50, he says, they're terrified on the sea, and he says, I am. It is I, which in Greek is ego imi, which is God's, him saying, I am the Lord God. 
And it's what God would say when he said, I am with you, fear not. And it, again, brings us back to Psalm 23, which he says, even though I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You might not feel like Jesus is with you. And I feel like he's distant. But he's always with us. Even in the dark night, he is with us to protect us, to secure us. So Jesus is our good shepherd. He came into this world to serve us, even though we deserve to serve him. It should, was rightfully that what should have been done. When he came to this world, he feeds us by speaking the word and then by giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And now he's risen in heaven and he is a shepherd who can protect you against the temptations of Satan and the sufferings that might tempt you to fall away. He secures us. He's our good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you feed us. And Lord, you're so sweet. And we can't, Lord, our tongues cannot describe how wonderful you are. And we don't love you as we ought. But thank you that you love us far, far more than we deserve. You love us infinitely and will take care of us and bring us all the way home. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead. Make that our confidence and trust today and lead them to you, all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.